Wait a minute. This is the English service, isn't it? There we go. Now we're good morning. I'm very glad to be with you this morning. We, Pastor Chuck and I both thought it was kind of funny that um, me, the one who can speak Chinese, was preaching in the English service today, and him, the one who only speaks English, was preaching in the Chinese service. Uh, Pastor Chuck's had such nice things to say about me that um, I'll have to keep my, uh, my plan in my back pocket for a future time. <laughs> but I did want to uh, tell you um, about how I ended up speaking this morning. I was actually supposed to do a sermon last summer when Pastor Chuck was on sabbatical, and then there was a scheduling conflict, so I wasn't able to do it. <laughs> scheduling conflict. Not the first time I've received that excuse. But I am excited to be able to share with you this morning. Um, Pastor Chuck has been helping us look at Westchester's motto of experiencing God's love and extending God's love. And today we're going to transition from how we experience God's love to how we extend it by loving God himself through worship. We're going to be looking at a story from the Old Testament I once told my wife, Angie, um, I think we Christians use the New Testament too much in our sermons and our teaching. And Angie, who's the spiritually discerning one among the two of us, said, I think what you mean to say is that we should use the Old Testament more, not that we use the New Testament too much. And I said, yeah, that's probably what I meant. So, <laughs> our story today... Um, from the Old Testament that we'll be looking at is the only time in history that I'm aware of when a praise team led an army into battle. So you're thinking, oh, yes, the Battle of Jericho, right? No, wrong. The Battle of Jericho, the praise team was in the middle of the army as they marched around the wall. Now, today we're going to be reading a story about King Jehoshaphat from 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 through 30. A little bit of background on Jehoshaphat. He was a king of Judah about 60 years after the northern kingdom split off. Um, when he became king, things weren't going very well in Judah. Um, but Jehoshaphat quickly turned things around, both militarily and spiritually. He even sent out people to teach God's law throughout Judah. So he was a good king. But Jehoshaphat also did have um, some questionable decisions. He made an alliance with Ahab, the king of Israel. He was actually one of the worst kings that Israel ever had. Ahab said, Jehoshaphat, hey, come and fight this battle with me. And Jehoshaphat said, okay, but let's ask a prophet from God first if we should go. And a prophet from God comes and says, yeah, go ahead and fight this battle, Ahab, but God's going to use this to destroy you. And for some reason, Jehoshaphat goes anyway with Ahab. And before they go into the battle, Ahab says, hey, Jehoshaphat, why don't you put on your kingly robes and things so that the enemy knows that you're a king? And I'm going to not put on my kingly robes and things. And Jehoshaphat says, sure, okay. And he goes into the battle and he almost gets killed. Um, later, he goes out into a battle uh, with another king of Israel fighting together and almost gets killed again. And later with another different king of Israel, um, Ahaziah, he partners with him to send out some trading ships, but God ends up destroying the trading ships before they even leave because Ahaziah, the king of Israel, was so evil. 
And Jehoshaphat also failed to get rid of the high places in Judah where people made sacrifices where they weren't supposed to. So Jehoshaphat made some mistakes, uh, but he did try to follow the Lord. And we're going to read this story um, kind of piece by piece from 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and see what it says about how we extend God's love back to God in worship. Verse 1. Later, the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Meonites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some men reported to Jehoshaphat, a large crowd is coming against you from the other side of the Dead Sea, from Edom. The crowd is already in Hazazon Tamar, also called in Gedi. Frightened, Jehoshaphat decided to ask for the Lord's help. He announced a fast throughout Judah. The people of Judah gathered to seek the Lord's help. They came from every city in Judah. By the way, if you want to know the secret to pronouncing Bible names, just say whatever you want to with confidence because nobody else knows either. (laughs) So we've got three groups that are coming from the same general area to south of Judah. One is the Meonites, who um, we really don't know much about. Um, Later, they're just called the people from Mount Seir. But we know that these other two nations, at least, are traditional rivals and enemies of Israel and Judah. And they seem to come together around the south side of the Dead Sea to attack Judah from the south. And what is Jehoshaphat's reaction when he's told that this huge army is coming? Well, he's afraid. He knows that nothing can help him but God. And so he gathers the people, uh, he declares a fast and then gathers the people together in the temple in Jerusalem. So from verse 5, in the new courtyard at the Lord's temple, Jehoshaphat stood in front of the people. He said, Lord, God of our ancestors, aren't you the God in heaven? You rule all the kingdoms of the nations. You possess power and might, and no one can oppose you. Didn't you, our God, force those who are living in this country out of Israel's way? Didn't you give this country to the descendants of your friend Abraham to have permanently? His descendants have lived in it and built a holy temple for your name in it. And they said, if evil comes in the form of war, flood, plague, or famine, we will stand in front of this temple and in front of you because your name is in this temple. We will cry out to you in our troubles, and you will hear us and save us. The Ammonites, Moabites, and the people of Mount Seir have come here. However, you didn't let Israel invade them when they came out of Egypt. The Israelites turned away from them and didn't destroy them. They are now paying us back by coming, out to, coming to force us out of your land that you gave to us. You're our God. Won't you judge them? We don't have the strength to face this large crowd that is attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Jehoshaphat illustrates why we worship God. He is God in heaven. He rules over the nations. He has unwithstandable, not a real word, power and might. In other words, God is worthy. Well, what is worship? Um, I would say worship is an authentic spiritual act of giving honor, credit, service, or sacrifice to something or someone considered worthy of it. I'll say that again. Worship, an authentic spiritual act of giving honor, credit, service, or sacrifice to something or someone considered worthy of it. 
Now notice by that definition, God is not the only one that we can worship. He is the only one that we should worship. But we do tend to worship a whole um, host of other things that are far less worthy than God, including worshiping ourselves. So how do we remind ourselves that God is the only one who is worthy? Well, Jehoshaphat remembers and retells what God has done for them. You gave us this land as an inheritance. You befriended Abraham. You have promised that you will hear from your temple and save us. Well, friends, we have an inheritance more precious and more lasting than the land of Israel. We have a relationship with God through Christ that's more intimate than even Abraham could enjoy. And we have a history of fulfilled promises from God's word. And now we even have God's Holy Spirit living in us. And our salvation has already appeared in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to cleanse us from sins. And on top of that, each of us can recall ways that we've seen God work in our lives, maybe to answer prayers, maybe even to do miracles in our lives. So we worship because we have experienced the love of God. And it's appropriate and necessary for us to respond to God's love by loving him back for who he is in worship. So if worship is giving credit to God because he's worthy and because he loves us and because we love him, what if we just don't feel like it? Jehoshaphat has the right response in crisis, right? He uh, does the right thing, but we read that he was terrified, and I don't think he really felt like worshiping God. So should we worship God when we just don't really feel like worshiping, whether that's because we're afraid about a situation we're facing or more just kind of apathy. Does God want inauthentic worship? Well, no, he wants worship to be sincere, right? In that case, we just have to wait until we feel like worshiping, right? Our emotions are what they are. We feel what we feel, and we can't just decide to change them. Actually, that's a total lie that our culture has sold us that emotions are either on or off. Um, We just need to be true to how we feel, no matter what that is. Pastor John Piper talks about this. He says, the problem with this idea is that it goes completely against God's word because God's word commands our emotions everywhere. It's all over scripture. Rejoice always, give thanks in all circumstances, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Weep with those who weep, Romans 12.15. Be patient until the coming of the Lord, James 5, 7. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. Psalm 42, 5. And there are many, many more examples. The reason that we can command our emotions is because those of us with a relationship with God through Jesus Christ have God's Holy Spirit living in us. And the Holy Spirit can transform our emotions. So when we don't feel like worshiping, we worship anyway, trusting that God will change how we feel as we do it. Jehoshaphat ends his prayer there in verse 12 with, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. We don't know what to do about the family crisis that we're in the middle of, maybe about trouble at work, maybe about how we're struggling to make ends meet this month, 
about not being able to see the people that we love during the pandemic, or maybe about a serious medical issue that's suddenly been discovered. But we do know where to look. And that acknowledgement, that decision to look to God because we know that no one else can help us, is worship. All right, verse 13. Turn too many pages. Here we go. <coughs> Excuse me. All the people from Judah, their infants, wives, and children, were standing in front of the Lord. Then the Lord's spirit came to Jehaziel. He was the son of Zechariah, grandson of Benaiah, great-grandson of Jael, whose father was Mattaniah, a Levite descended from Asaph. Jehaziel said, Pay attention to me, everyone from Judah, everyone living in Jerusalem, and King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says to you. Don't be frightened or terrified by this large crowd. The battle isn't yours, it's God's. Tomorrow, go into battle against them. They will be coming up the Z's Pass. You will find them at the end of the valley in front of the Jeruel Desert. You won't fight this battle. Instead, take your position, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord for you. Judah, uh, Judah and Jerusalem, don't be frightened or terrified. Tomorrow, go out to face them. The Lord is with you. Notice that the people of Judah are standing there in the temple as families. Worship is meant to happen in community, and the smallest unit of community is the family. And God gives parents the responsibility to lead their families in worship. So part of that is by involving children in a worshiping community, like at Westchester, where we have things like Kids Quest and Youth Ministries. And I really like the fact that Westchester doesn't uh, sequester the children away from their families during the worship service. But outside of church activities, parents still have a responsibility to lead their families in worship. Our family has a worship time uh, every night that we call Bible Story Time. (coughs) Excuse me. We read a Bible story, talk about it a little bit, pray, and then sing a worship song, and then start getting the kids in bed. And sometimes, honestly, our Bible story time doesn't feel very worshipful. Um, I never really understood the biblical phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth, until I had children who were old enough to protest bedtime routines. (laughs) But we worship as a family, and sometimes it's really good. Having nightly family worship isn't the right way or the only way to lead our families in worship, but family worship isn't something to be left to the professionals on Sunday morning or on Wednesday night. And worship also doesn't only happen within families. We should gather with other believers to worship God. One of the negative effects of the pandemic, especially in the early weeks, was a disruption in the ability of the church to gather together. Now, I personally believe that we should follow government mandates when there are temporary measures that limit churches from meeting in person. But eventually, we need to be able to gather together for worship. Our family was in Asia when the pandemic started, and we were going to an international church. And the authorities in our city told the church that they uh, couldn't meet together. And so we complied, hoping that we could go back to church again in a few weeks. A few weeks became a few months. 
Actually, to this day, the church in that city has never been allowed to meet together in person. After a few months, <coughs> excuse me, without a church community, we just really needed to worship together again, and we were able to do that in smaller groups. But we really felt um, this lack of a worshiping community kind of led to a spiritual deficit. Last week, Pastor Chuck encouraged us to make meeting together a priority instead of relying on the live stream if we just don't feel like coming to church um, because we need to worship in community. We also can and should worship individually, whether that's listening to worship music or worshiping God in prayer or even going out and experiencing God's glory in nature. Lots of things can be an act of worship to God, a way of recognizing how God is worthy. But calling everything worship, I think, is the same thing as calling nothing worship. If I just wave my hand over my life and say, everything I do is an act of worship, then I run the risk of never really consciously worshiping God at all. Worship does take intentionality. So sure, I can worship God while I'm playing Candy Crush on my phone. But I won't, right? We need to take time to worship and even form habits of worship. So the Israelites gathered as a community and they prayed and waited and then a prophet told them that the battle was God's, not theirs. They wouldn't even have to fight. But they did still have to go out to the battlefield. So why did the people have to go out to a battle that they weren't going to fight in? God could have just said, okay, great, you prayed and you worship, whoop, your enemies are gone, go back to bed. But God didn't do that because he wanted them to go out, and it tells us why. The prophet says, to see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Westchester, do we see the salvation of God on our behalf? Pastor Chuck has been talking to us about how we experience the love of God through our justification and through our sanctification. And as we think about our salvation, the love that God has shown us and continues to show us, what is our response? We will never worship if we don't comprehend how much grace God has had on us. We love God because God first loved us. And one of the ways that we express that love back to God is through worship. In verse 18, Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face touching the ground. Everyone from Judah and the people who lived in Jerusalem immediately bowed down in front of the Lord. The Levites, descendants of Kohath and Korah, stood up to praise the Lord of God, Lord God of Israel with very loud songs. They got up early in the morning and went to the desert of Tekoa. As they were leaving, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, Listen to me, people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem. Trust the Lord your God and believe. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. After he had advised the people, he appointed people to sing to the Lord and praise him for the beauty of his holiness. As they went in front of the troops, they sang, Thank the Lord because his mercy endures forever. The first part of that scene uh, reminds me a little bit of a Sunday school song. The people bow down, Alleluia, 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 and then the Levites stand up, Praise ye the Lord. Okay, I'm not sure that's exactly how it went, but in any case, there are different postures of worship, right? 
Sometimes we do bow down in reverence and holy fear. And sometimes we jump up and raise our hands, although most of us in Westchester don't raise our hands above about here. <laughs> Which also uh, leads to this question, should worship uh, be loud? Yes. Okay, you thought I was going to say no, but the an- my answer is yes. Now, sometimes um, we do worship quietly or even silently, but in general, worship should be loud, like it was with the people of Israel here. They sang very loud songs. Angie and I were part of a campus ministry during college, and sometimes we'd have large meetings with hundreds of people, and sometimes a smaller thing like a prayer meeting with just a few people, and we'd uh, sing a song together. And there was one friend of ours who was often at those smaller meetings. We'll call him Andrew, because that's his name. (laughs) Andrew couldn't carry a tune if it had handles. And he sang loudly. Andrew loved to worship God with loud songs. And what actually happened was that the louder that Andrew sang, the louder everybody else sang, maybe partly to drown him out. So you might think, well, I don't have the best singing voice. If we're worshiping together with song, I'll just sing quietly so that maybe everybody else can hear the people who sing better and sound better. But that's not how worship works. That's not even how the physics of sound works. So when you sing to praise God, sing loudly. And if you sing badly, sing louder. And everyone around you might actually sing louder too. It's not mostly a matter of volume, but if we're excited about how God loves us and want to show that we love him, our emotions should be involved. And as we show that emotion, partly through volume, we're able to draw others into deeper worship. Our oldest son, Josiah, is a big fan of the Purdue Boilermakers college basketball team. This week, one of their games was on TV, and Josiah was watching along with two of his brothers. The game was tight, and it went to overtime and then double overtime. And with every shot that Purdue made to tie it up or maybe take a slim lead, Josiah was jumping up and down and yelling at the TV in support of his team. By the end of the game, Josiah was so excited that both of his brothers were jumping up and down and yelling at the TV with him even though up until then, Purdue had mattered very little to them. Josiah's love for Purdue and his very obvious expression of that drew others to get excited about them. And in similar ways, our sincere love for God and excitement about God can be infectious. These verses say that the people sang to praise the Lord for the beauty of his holiness. Some people translate that differently, but... In any case, when was the last time you praised God for the beauty of his holiness? I think sometimes we kind of lack the words to worship God. We may sit down with every intention to worship God in prayer, and maybe you've had an experience of it going something like this. God, you're amazing, you're powerful, and you're loving, you are great, Uh, You hear me when I pray, and you answer, you're loving, um, you're full of grace, uh, you listen to your people, you're big. Uh, Did I say that you're loving yet? 
And pretty soon our worship time has gone a full 45 seconds. Now it is useful sometimes to kind of exercise um, our worship by trying to think of different attributes of God or even listing them out. But we can also worship when we don't really have words, uh, maybe through silent reflection. Or we can worship with some guidance. We can read scripture, focusing on worshiping God along with what we read. Or we can sing out loud with worship songs. Or better yet, to come to church and engage uh, with our worship leaders at church, where Austin and those on the praise team have gifts and have intentionally thought and prayed and prepared to give us words and ways to express the worthiness of God. Back to our passage in verse 22. As they started to sing praises, the Lord set ambushes against the Ammonites and Moabites and the people of Mount Seir who had come into Judah. They were defeated. Then the Ammonites and Moabites attacked the people from Mount Seir and annihilated them. After they had finished off the people of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. The people of Judah went to the watchtower in the desert and looked for the crowd. Corpses were lying on the ground. No one had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his troops came to take the loot, they found among them a lot of goods, clothes, and valuables. They found more than they could carry. They spent three days collecting the loot. On the fourth day, they gathered in the valley of Baraka. Because they thanked the Lord there, that place is still called the Valley of Baraka today. So God's promise comes true. Judah's enemies annihilate one another and no one escapes. And the Israelites name that place thanks because they're so thankful to God for delivering them. In the Old Testament, many place names um, come from a major event that happened there and they're a way to help people remember. Hey, remember that time when God made our enemies annihilate each other as we sang worship songs? And then how after gathering all that food and weapons and everything else together, we just gave thanks. Wow, God is amazing. Now you might say, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to worship God. Even if I don't feel like it, I'll trust that the Holy Spirit can change my feelings. I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to metaphorically go up to the temple of the Lord and stand before God in worship. And then we open our Bible and read, Who can ascend the hill of the Lord, and who can stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And we go, well, that was a nice idea, but I do not have clean hands. I do not have a pure heart. I have fallen so far short of worthiness lately that I don't think God even wants my worship. I am not worthy of worshiping God. Well, of course you're not. The point of worship is God's worthiness, not yours. So what do we do with our own unworthiness? How do we dare to approach God in worship when we have sin? Well, 1 John 1, verses 5-10 through says, This is the message that we have heard from Christ and are reporting to you. God is light and there isn't any darkness in him. If we say we have a relationship with God and yet live in the dark, we're lying. We aren't being truthful. But if we live in the light, in the same way that God is in the light, we have a relationship with each other. And the blood of his son, Jesus, cleanses us from every sin. 
If we say we aren't sinful, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. God is faithful and reliable. If we confess our sins, he forgives them and cleanses us from everything we've done wrong. If we say we have never sinned, we turn God into a liar and his word is not in us. Let me read verse 9 again. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and reliable and forgives them and cleanses us from everything we've done wrong. So let's say you get to church in the morning and you enter the sanctuary and you sit down for a second and say, whew, okay, time to worship God. And then you think about how just now, as you were leaving the house, you told your child four times to get their shoes on and you ended up saying disparaging things to them and getting angry. And you suddenly feel completely unworthy to worship God. What should you do? Well, you should confess that to God. And if your child is there, you should confess to him. And then you stand in worship. Not because our sin is no big deal, but because we believe that God is faithful to cleanse us. Okay, yeah, Tom, I confess that sin, but what about all these sins I had yesterday that I haven't confessed I haven't even thought of yet? Well, does the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin? Does all mean all, or doesn't it? Faith is the only thing that allows us to worship God. We do need to come to God with clean hands and pure hearts. And we cannot truthfully say that we have no sin, so we confess any sins that God brings to our minds. And then we trust that God cleanses us, not just from the sins that we've thought of, but also from the ones that we haven't yet. We've already talked about how Jehoshaphat was not a perfect king. We only know like eight things that he did, and five of them were abject failures in trusting and obeying God. But if God was pleased to receive worship from Jehoshaphat, to use Jehoshaphat to inspire his people to worship him, and to work a great salvation for his people through him, then we can believe that God is willing to receive worship from imperfect worshipers. The only way that our sin gets in the way of worship is, that if, is if we either deny that it is sin or if we deny God's gift of forgiveness through Christ's blood. Well, God, I'd really love to worship you. I'd really love to serve you and tell you how I love you, but here's my sin. Sorry, I can't. And God looks at that and says, what sin? Jesus' blood is so powerful that as soon as you confess it, it's completely washed away. And we say, yeah, I know that. I believe that. I mean, I kind of believe that. I believe that, you know, ultimately you'll take away all the sin and I'll be with you without sin in heaven forever, you know. But, uh, you know, this sin that you claim you don't see, I think I just need to, to work on that myself for a little while and then... Uh, Maybe, you know, later I'll be worthy. Or People, that's craziness. We do not treat our sin lightly. It is serious and its consequences are deadly. But we have to believe God when he says, if you confess it, you're clean. It's gone. I've paid for it. God loves you that much. And if we can have the faith to believe and a love of God so complete and so powerful to do that for us, 
we have no choice but to love God back. We have no choice but to say, thank you. God, you're worthy. God, your, your holiness is beautiful. And if you realize that as you're, or realize it anew as you're sitting at your table, reading your Bible, or maybe as you're out walking in God's creation, or maybe even right now in the pew where you're sitting, go ahead and name that place. Baraka, thanks. This is where I remembered again how deeply and completely God loves me and where I decided to respond by saying, God, I love you too. Thank you. I think I somehow didn't get verses 27 and 28 on the screen, but uh, from verse 27, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned to Jerusalem. They rejoiced while Jehoshaphat led them. The Lord gave them a reason to rejoice about what had happened to their enemies. So they brought harps, lyres, and trumpets to the Lord's temple in Jerusalem. The fear of the Lord came on the kingdoms in that area when they heard, about, when they heard how the Lord waged war against Israel's enemies. Jehoshaphat's kingdom was peaceful since his God surrounded him with peace. So Judah had peace. The surrounding kingdoms left them alone because they feared the God of Israel. <clears throat> See, Israel was always meant to be a light to the surrounding nations, a shining example of a people, a shining example of the greatness of God and a tangible demonstration of a people who are loved by God and who loved God in return. And at the end of our story, we see that happening to some extent. Because of Judah's worship and trust of God, the surrounding nations know that God is worthy and that he protects and loves his people. And in the coming weeks, as Pastor Chuck continues to talk about extending the love of God, we'll kind of get more into this, but I did want to mention a small part of it right here. And that's that worship doesn't end with us. It extends to the nations. Worship is about the love of God compelling us to give glory to God, and that glory cannot be confined to the places where, that there, where there are already churches. God loves us, yes, but in Scripture, God so loved the world and all of its peoples that he gave his only son. God is worthy to receive glory and honor, not just from me and you, but from every people and tribe and language and nation. As John Piper again says, missions exist because worship doesn't. So as Westchester, we send our global partners to places where worship does not yet exist. And we celebrate the fact that we're a church that worships in two completely different languages. And we look for how God wants us to expand worship. I don't know what um, God will do through um, our efforts now to get more involved in welcoming immigrants, um, primarily Afghanis, but I, can I can't tell you how excited it would make me if in five or 10 years we had a Chinese fellowship, an English fellowship, and an Afghan fellowship. That is one of the most exciting and God-glorifying ministries that I can imagine because it's a picture of worship being fulfilled in the new heavens and earth. Worship must not stop with us. It must be carried to the farthest corners of the earth because God is that worthy. Let's pray.
God, you are amazing. God, you really love us. And we want to say that we love you too. Help us to say that when we don't feel like it, when we feel unworthy, or when we struggle to find the words to say it. You're more worthy than all the things that can get in the way of our worship. And Lord, we live in a troubled world, and we know that you are creating a future where Christ is conquered, death and hell are thrown into the lake of fire, and we who know you will enjoy you forever as you wipe away every tear from our eyes. But we confess that we struggle to really believe that, and yet we obey you to worship, obey you, to worship you anyway. We choose to trust you that as surely as the Israelites in the wilderness, we will look out on a battle already won, and we will feast with you and enjoy the riches of our inheritance forever. God, thank you. God, we love you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.